All right, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Business of Fitness Podcast. I am Jason Klepa, and I am here with the myth, the man, the legend, Mr. MDV. The gang got back together again, huh? Feels good to have you back, man. Yeah. It's, Globetrotter. It's Globetrotter. Got back for a month. I'm here with Ali and MDV, and we are, uh, we are ready to do a great one today. So I just got off the flight from uh, Paris, actually. I was in Europe for a month. Uh, while I was there, we were on a trip for my daughter finishing uh, her chemotherapy treatment, but while I was there... I did three, um, I'd like to call it kind of tight-knit business seminars, small group. Uh, they were about size 8 to 12 people, and I really wanted to dive into each person's business and share our experience, etc. But while I was sharing our experience, I heard from them about some of the things that they've learned. And so what I want to do today in MDV, I know you want to too, is we want to talk about a very, very cool subject. Five of the biggest mistakes that we see gym owners do. And I think what sparked this for me was that, you know, I'm sitting there talking to these gym owners, they're making good money, they're doing great stuff, and then all of a sudden you hear this one thing, boom, and you're like, oh, that's a red flag, right? I was watching, uh, you ever see that show, The Profit? Yeah. And he goes in, and he's listening to the business, he's just listening, 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 and all of a sudden he hears something, he's like, whoa, that's a, that's a stop sign. So what we want to talk about today are five of the stop signs that could potentially be hurting your business, and uh, try and avoid it before you get into business, and if you're currently in a business, Make some change. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Some of this stuff is is going to be obvious for some people listening and other, it's going to be revelating for people. It's going to, it's going to be groundbreaking to, to hear some of this stuff. Um, the sad part is there's some stuff on this list that people don't ever, ever think about um, and it can be really helpful. So I'm excited to talk about it. Let's do it. All right. So we're going to go ahead and start a uh, 25 to 30 minute AMRAP. Because we have five items, I want to make sure we have plenty of time for each one. We're starting in three, two, one, and let's go. So the first item on our list, and I would probably say MDV, I don't want to say this is the most important, but it's, it's, it's high up there, right? The due diligence, the next one I think is very important, but I think this one, let's start off with partnerships. Yeah. So in my experience, um, you know, we've talked to roughly a thousand gym owners and in my experience, more times than not, people have partners. I've seen as high as seven to eight partners. I've seen as low as obviously zero. Um, the particular seminars in Europe, we had one gentleman. He had three different locations. One of the locations had five owners. Another location had four owners. And the third location had three owners. And they, n- none of them kind of overlapped. They were just different groups of people. So we see sometimes, specifically in the CrossFit space, but you know, just gyms in general, is that you have people who are passionate about fitness. And they're you know out to dinner one night and say, hey, let's start up a business. Boom, they create a, a partnership. Mm-hmm but it's not on paper. So you've had a partnership. Yeah. I I currently have a partnership because I'm married in the state of California, right? My wife owns 50%. So I'll share my experience. You can share your experience, but I'd like to hear from you being a gym owner, being a partner. What do you think you could do from a partnership perspective? How important is that? Yeah, it's, it's hugely important. Um, you know, I think even before I talk about my, my personal story with, with partnership agreements and, and owning a gym, you know, if you're thinking about going into business with partners, there's a few things off the bat that you got to think about. You got to think whether or not, hey, is this going to be feasible, financially feasible for me down the road when this starts kicking off whatever number of dollars you're expecting to kick off to be worth your time, your effort, and your energy prior. So if you're talking to like 10 people about starting a gym and you're only expecting <laughs> to have 100 members, it's like... You're, yeah, you're Even not. Even if you had 200 members, let's just say you're generating 30 grand. Let's just say you're <laughs> netting 
it, you're right that the numbers just don't make sense. Yeah. Right? And it's super sexy and everybody wants to be involved in an ownership team and all that kind of stuff. But it, at some point it just doesn't make sense. And so, how about the risk and liability they take? Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, it, everybody thinks the company's going to do well, but what if it doesn't do well? Yeah. You then take on a lot of, there's a lot of liability and a very little gain. The, the more partners you add to the equation typically. So that's number one. I think number two, um, is making sure that you have a really, really clear expectation of the roles and responsibilities for everybody who's going to be involved, even before you get to the point of getting things down on paper formally. You have to have a clear expectation of what everybody is responsible for, because if, if you don't going into drafting a document, I think that it's going to be it's going to be really, really hard for you to all come to an agreement. Well, and not to cut you off, but I think you're a phenomenal person to talk to this about. You have a legal background, mm -hmm. obviously. You've been a partner in a gym. Mm -hmm. So I can't think of a better person I'm going to ask right now, mm -hmm. right? Then what What do you think those, um, what kind of roles and responsibilities can you segment? What do you normally see in the space? And then how do you start having those kind of conversations? Because I imagine some of them in the beginning are probably like pretty cool. Like, hey man, you're the coach on the back end. And then as time goes on, we start drafting up agreements. It might get a little uncomfortable. Yeah. So... You know, my, my best advice in this situation is like you have to have everything down on paper, formal and informal that people are going to be responsible for. And everybody who's sitting at the table needs to be in agreement that whatever ownership share lines up with that person's responsibilities, that everybody feels comfortable with that. So let's say you and I were going into business 50-50 on a project, right? Right. We're each going to put in the equal amount of cash just to make it simple. If we looked at the responsibilities down on your end and the responsibilities down on my end, and let's say you had 20 things that you were going to be responsible for on your list and I had two, that doesn't seem to be equitable to me. Like that doesn't seem to be like both sides understand that Jason's putting in equal money as MDV, but now Jason's got 20 things on his list to do and I only have two. So there might be resentment down the road that builds up. Yep. But, you know, let's say we have three partners and one's putting in all sweat equity and the other two are the capital partners. As long as the expectations are really, really clearly defined prior, almost any arrangement can work out. Right. You just have to have clear cut roles and responsibilities. The biggest thing for me with partnership agreements is when you're initially starting out in a business and you have an idea and everybody's fucking fired up, up. Yep. and you're ready to pull all your money out of your bank account and you're ready to go. Typically, nobody is thinking about what if things go bad. Right. And it's not a bad thing to think about. You're just covering your ass. You have to think about every contingency potentially down the road. Now, when you say things go bad, you're talking about maybe the partnership relationship. Maybe you and I aren't friends anymore. You're saying maybe yeah. the business isn't doing as well as you want. Whatever. A number of things. What if we don't have a partnership agreement one day and you get hit by a bus walking into the gym? Now things are just unraveling. There's mm -hmm. no set legal agreement that says how things need to be administered after such events. So you have to plan for all those contingencies while everybody is still shaking hands and high-fiving and chest bumping. And it's much easier at that point too because you can all come to a realistic expectation about hey, how is the business going to be valued? How are we going to split it up? What happens if somebody wants to walk away? How mm -hmm. do they sell out? What happens if somebody, God forbid, is incapacitated or, or passes away? Right. All that stuff is handled. You have it locked up. It'll cost you a few thousand bucks. 
but in the long run, it will be worth it. And I couldn't agree with you more, MDV. So in my particular case, it's a little bit different, but I just want to share from all the experiences that I've gone through, we're talking about not some of, but the sum of, like a lot of people mm-hmm. in this space have partnership uh, have partnerships and most don't have partnership agreements because I think what it is, and I get it, they're a little bit afraid of the, the tough conversations. They, they, they don't want that discomfort. Yeah, right? it's, it's uncomfortable to talk to- about totally. for some people. It, it, it's more uncomfortable to talk about it down the road when you guys don't like each other anymore though. Yep, you know, JP, our buddy from Brick, you know, he has a great example where him and his cousin got into business. They didn't want to have a partner. You know, he kind of just signed a partnership agreement, was all fired up. And then lo and behold, this guy tried to take over his company from him. And it just goes to show, take your time, do your due diligence and have that uncomfortable birds and the bees conversation, right? And and using myself as an example, this is how uncomfortable I'm, I'm prepared to get. So my wife and I met when we were 14, got married, been married for nine years. And about maybe two years ago, I, I said to her, I was like, hey, Ashley, I need to draft up a buy-sell agreement. And she's like, well, tell me more. Well, in the state of California, because she's eligible for 50% of the business, um, you know, if, if we ever got a divorce for any reason, I wouldn't want that to affect our company because we have a lot of people that work with us and I don't want them to get affected because of my personal life, right? Mm-hmm. So we had to kind of have that awkward conversation. Well, hey, if, you know, if things do go wrong, which by the way, that's very uncomfortable to talk to your wife, but that was something I felt like was necessary for the long-term sustainability of our business. And ultimately we came with the conclusion that, hey, if this happens, we get paid out this way, da 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 and we're all good, yeah. right? But but to, to put in perspective, it's so important for any of you guys listening right now. If you have a partner and you have not had a conversation about a formal partnership agreement, please stop what you're doing and do that. I can't tell you how many gyms I've seen that are very successful and they go down the drain real quick because partners, something happens, yeah. right? Just have it in writing. That's it. You you brought up a really, really important point there. And I think going down this list for, you know, two through five, where it's going to come up again is it's that ultimate expression of care. Because if you have those conversations at the start, whether it's with your partners or your significant others or whatever, there's other people who rely upon your business, your gym, you know, everything that goes into that. And your community relies on that too. You have to care enough to have the conversations early enough so that it's not just all crumbling as soon as one string gets pulled. Yep. I, this is a very, um, I feel very strongly yeah. about partnership agreements. And, and I, I haven't even, just because I've seen so many great situations go wrong. So guys, please, you know, if you don't do it for you, do it for your partner, do it for your loved one. And even worse, right, when you have two couples that yeah. are partners, then all of a sudden there's actually four people involved. You know, who's the decision maker? I mean, just have the conversations now over a glass of wine instead of having it a year from now over yeah, a much sitting across from a few lawyers yeah, who are yeah. trying to argue who <laughs> much, put in more first. Much different conversation. So guys, that's on partnerships. Next one. On to the next. On to the next one, the, the due diligence. And I think MDV, you and I were talking about this earlier. I think there's several factors that go into due diligence, but ultimately the way we like to think about it is do your homework. Do right? your homework, man. That's it. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's, you know, before you get into, I mean, just think about it. If you're going to go apply to grad school, mm-hmm. if you're going to go do do anything, generally you do your homework. Like for example, if if you're t- spending more time doing your homework on Yelp to figure out what restaurant to go to than you were to figure out what your zoning was for your location, 
you probably need to reevaluate. <laughs> yeah, this I mean, this to me is like just showing up as a business owner. This is this is like the lowest level of entry point. Right. Like know your lease, know your rent, know your numbers, know exactly all the different zoning things that you need to have done before you get involved in the business because you're going to show up on day one with the keys and the fire marshal is going to be there and he's going to be like, nah, sorry, buddy. Like you need to install $50,000 worth of sprinklers before you opened up and now you're shit out of luck. That's right. So doing your homework means being prepared, means knowing what you're actually getting into before you get into it. And again, it's just that higher level of care. Like, do you really want your whole fortune, all of your dreams to be dashed just because you didn't do one stupid thing and you might have been able to get away you, you might be able to get away with it for a while but ultimately you got to take it you know reevaluate and say hey look i personally guarantee the lease that i'm not zoned appropriately for if someone comes in here and shuts me down i'm on the hook for that or maybe you go in and you don't pay attention to city ordinance you have a fire marshal come in you have to redo those sprinklers maybe before you moved in you could have gone and talked to them and came up with a solution but now that you're in they're not going to work with you no. right and so guys when we talk about doing your due diligence, it's this simple. Don't shoot for the stars in terms of the biggest, you know, gold toilets and all these different things. Start off simple, start off conservative, start off clean, right? Make it look right, but do your homework, right? You know, talk to your city officials, look at different types of things. How many square feet do you actually need to generate the type of income that you're looking for? That's all it is. It's not as simple as just saying, oh, there's a warehouse. I'm gonna go ahead and book it. Well, Maybe it's not, you know, maybe the bathrooms aren't ADA compliant. Maybe you're going to be responsible for that. What does your lease look like? Have yeah. a lawyer review it, you know? And if you don't know, just have the humility to ask somebody. Just ask for help. Yep. Ask for help. And there's hundreds, uh, <laughs> hundreds, hundreds of gyms in your area that would be more than willing, I guarantee you, to share some information about what you need to do before you go do it. And you can find somebody who will share with you in good faith yeah. just the checklist. Absolutely. And just one more note on that. When you are going to sign your first lease, just be aware that you sign it long enough to generate the revenue needed to get back your initial investment. But maybe not so long that if your business is not doing as well, you, you know, maybe you put underneath the LLC, a corporation this way, hypothetically, you're not personally liable for it. For your first gym might be a little bit tough. They probably wouldn't do that, but you never know. Just be aware of how many years you sign up for. One year, three years, five years, seven years, 10 years. In the beginning, we sign up for shorter term leases because our TI or our build out, mm -hmm. tenant improvements were cheap. But now that our tenant improvements are more expensive, we can't sign a two year deal. Because even if you're profitable in six months on a monthly reoccurring basis, to recoup your initial investment will take you X amount of months. So make sure you set, set yourself up for success by doing your due diligence specifically with non-negotiables like leases, spaces, things of that nature. Yep. Not to mention all the coaching and all that side. I mean, yeah. that's, that's we've talked about that on yeah. other podcasts. Do your homework. Be realistic about what you're getting into. Do it better than anybody else who's doing it, but have have real expectations before you go and, and put yourself into six feet deep. I love it. All right, on to number three. This one is um, uh, hiring friends. So... <laughs> This one's an interesting one. Yeah. I think that it's something that a lot of owners do. I think there's something to be said about hiring friends, right? A lot we of positives. Have, there's a lot of positives. Um, we have, you know, this company has had many of my friends involved, currently still involved. You know, we've met a lot of really great people, but I think it, it comes down to one thing that's very important for me. It's imp You could trust your friends, mm -hmm. right? 
but they need to be credible for what they're doing. That's yep. the, that's the kicker. Like just because you're a homie doesn't mean you get to hang around. You need to be a friend, but also be knowledgeable, right? I mean, a great example is we'll use Matt as an example, right? So this is MDV. His real name's Matt, but we have another Matt. His last name's Walker. Him and I have been friends since we were 14, uh, best men in each of our weddings, etc. When we started talking about hiring him, I mean, it was a very black and white situation for him and I. He came from Lockheed Martin. He had a finance background. He was extremely credible. And, and so it wasn't like, yes, I'm hiring a friend, but more importantly, we're hiring someone who is legit at what they're doing, right? You and I, we talked for months. We've known each other for years before you came on board, but you're legit. Mm-hmm. And so it's okay. I think credibility is a huge part of it. You, ha- you actually have to have the skills to do the job. Yep. You have to have the skills. You also have to have really clear expectations with your friends, even more so sometimes than you would with somebody who you're hiring, who you may not have a personal relationship with, because it's really, really, really tricky when somebody's not doing what they're supposed to do, because now you have to have this super awkward conversation with a guy who you probably would want to go out and have a beer with, but now you're sitting there talking about, well, like, hey, listen, I thought you were going to do X, but you're only doing Y. And that's really, really tough. And I think that that's hard, not only if you're talking about friends who work for you, but now also that other common theme is members who now work for you. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And you have this like misaligned expectation. You have somebody who used to pay you for service, and now maybe they're not paying you anymore. You're bartering with them, and now you're asking them to clean toilets or put out the garbage or do their job better than they're doing it. That's really hard. It is really hard. And so the recommendation on hiring friends would be this simple. We've done it a lot. It's worked out great. We've done it sometimes and it's been challenging. But if you set the, ex- set the expectation early and often, and if you hire people who are credible, not just because they're a friend, because it can actually drive value for your business, we think it's a great idea. For just sure. be aware of it, right? There's nothing wrong with that. For sure. Know the pros and cons. Be able to say no if it's not the right situation if someone's not credible if they're not right for the job be able to have the tough conversations if it comes to that down the road but you know it can be a really amazing and super fulfilling thing to work alongside people you're friends with i mean i feel really fortunate to work with you and matt and everybody else every day like it's it's really really great but i think we have really clear expectations about what my role is what everybody else's role is and and that's where i've seen it work best Perfect. I couldn't agree more. So let's move on to number four. Um, I think this one is 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 very very important. Um, your priorities, where are you spending your time, and ultimately how much time are you training? Oof. And I think one of the pitfalls that we've seen, specifically in the CrossFit space, we just want to talk about. And I think owners just need to be aware of it. It's not the end of the world, but you need to just be aware of it. Is you know we've said this time and time again. If you're spending more time training than you are trying to build your business or work on your business or try and add value to your coach, do something, yeah. right? Then, then there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a dynamic shift that needs to occur, right? Because you chose to go into business, you chose to do these types of things, and if you, if you also want to compete, that's fine, but you just need to recognize that something is going to give and take. I was in a, I don't know, Barcelona, and I was speaking with one of the owners that was there, and she, she clearly said, like, listen, I want to be a master's competitor. That's a goal of mine. I really enjoy it. And, but I understand that it takes time away from the business and I'm okay with that. And I think if you could say that, then nothing wrong with that. But if you're sitting there and you're really desperate and your business is not doing well, and perhaps you have children and a, 
whatever it may be, and you're spending all this time training, there becomes conflicting stories there, right? And what I think you need to do, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you need to, Tate Fletcher said this one time, he said like, you need to be about some shit. And what, what, that, what that meant to me when he said it to me was like, you need to step up, yeah. recognize what really the priority needs to be and get after it. Yeah. This one, this one bugs me a lot in particular if, if you're fucking complaining about not doing well enough. If you're complaining about your coaches not coaching well enough. If you're complaining about not having enough members. If you're complaining about your business being subpar or I don't know why it's not working out. And then we look at your training log and your training six hours a day, three sessions, doubling up, you know, spending more money on supplements and designing t-shirts and, and whatever excuse that you might have, whatever it is, whether it's training or you're distracted, don't complain if you're going to spend your time that way. That's right. Because there's a better way to spend your time. Now, if you're, if you're bending over backwards, you're busting your ass and you're, and you still have things that are going wrong. Okay, we will sit down, we'll talk to you and, and we will work with you and, and help you try to understand where you're at. But that, that just complete detachment from reality that you can spend that much time training and then still expect everything to just be awesome and be amazing. It, it just doesn't work out like that. Yeah, if you're an owner operator, that's tough. And, yeah. and you know, on that same note, I was, in, I was in Europe and this gentleman said to me a really interesting question. He said, hey, a lot of our members want like specific programming for themselves, right? They don't want to do our, our gym programming. I said, oh, okay. That's, I said, that's interesting. I said, how many coaches do you have? He said, 18 between the different locations. Wow. I said, okay, it's different locations, 18 coaches. I asked him, I said, he said, no, it's a really big problem. He said, our, our members want to come in and just do their own thing. And so our classes are starting to like segment. I said, oh, I was like, well, let me ask you a question. How many of your coaches do your gym's programming, right? And he said, none. Yeah. And they all have individual programs and these individual programs, including him as the owner, probably take up a lot of time Yeah, and people recognize when you're doing a lot of individualized stuff. That's, that's a, another layer just to think about, you know, one of the things that you brought up, which I think is really cool starting in two days, which is good timing for me because I just got back from Europe for a month, probably not <laughs> eating great. We're starting our coaches challenge, yeah, right? First internal challenge that we'll do first internal challenge. Now the, the part that pertains to this is, you get one point as part of the challenge for taking a class a day, right? Yeah, yeah. I wanted to, um, I wanted to let our coaches be involved in um, a, an accountability challenge, essentially, right? I wanted them to be able to check a goal off of their list, just like we allow our members the opportunities to check goals off of their list with thirty-day challenges, and that's. A lot of people will knock on thirty-day challenges because oh, it's not long enough to produce long-term adaptation and whatever crap bullshit. The thing that's important about 30 day challenges is that you can have this really defined short term focus and you can accomplish something, even if it's just the smallest goal on your list. And I wanted to allow our coaches the opportunity to do that and cheer each other on through the process. And part of the challenge is to take one of our classes zero to uh, the end of class. You got to be there all the way through. And I think that's really important for, for coaches to be in class. Not only do the members benefit because they see somebody they look up to training next to them and enjoying it and having a really good time, but also as a coach, when you're in somebody else's class, you have this really unique perspective. You get to now see how that person's delivery is coming across to you as a member. And you can even get reflective on like, 
hey, I, I feel like I do this sometimes, or I might have said this here. And it, now it sparks this awesome two-way discussion eventually down the road between the two coaches, right? Right. Super, super important that coaches take classes. Now, I'd be lying to you if I said we have 99.999% of our coaches doing that. We have a vast majority of them doing it, but there still are some coaches yep. that follow their own individual programming. Which is fine, but I, yeah, we, we, but we encourage, encourage them to take if, classes. But if you're an owner operator, it's even more important, I think, right? Because you're really setting the tone for everybody else. Like right after this, I mean, I just got back, I'm going to Santa Clara. I'm going to go jump into a class and I'm excited about it. And I'm really excited about the challenge you brought up where basically we put some money on the line yep. and we're saying, Hey, look, you get a point for eating. You get a point for this, you get a point for this and you have to track your points every day. Mm-hmm. And let's see how it goes. We're doing this. This is the first time we've ever done it. You know, we'll make sure to talk about it on the podcast again of what we thought went well and what we thought could have been better. Yeah. Right? I mean, we're not, look, I want to make it very clear. NC Fit as a business is not perfect. We have a lot of holes and we're working on them every single day, but we're trying new things. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't, but at least we're constantly trying to evolve. Right. And this is a good example of that. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to see what happens over the course of 30 days. Um, it also gives us really good data on how we might roll this out in the future, whether we want to do it with some of our coaches who are coaching internationally, or we want to do it with, you know, our members or, Hey, do we want to do this in individual gyms and then, you know, figure out how the system all works. We will give you guys more information about it down the road. Back to where we're at. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry guys, got off on a tangent there. With misaligned priorities at the end of the day, it's, I think it's our opinion that if you signed up to be an owner and you are unhappy with where your business is at, you have to take a hard look at how you're spending your time and really, really be honest with yourself and say, am I doing everything I can to be successful? Yeah, and I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that. I think about that every single day. Honestly, for me, it's like, hey, look, if I'm outside the gym trying to grow the business, you know, should I be more in the gyms? What's going on? You know, and I battle with it myself, but at least I can rest assured at the end of the day, you know, I'm trying my best every day to say, hey, where is my time best spent? Yep. Right? At least you're asking yourself on a daily basis. Yep. So guys, last one, number five. So we went over partnerships. Super important. Get one. Due diligence, hiring friends, priorities, and training too much, and just spending your time. Where are you at with that? This last one is a split, folks. I think this one's really interesting. A buddy of mine, for many years, he worked for a gentleman. He was doing, um, uh, he was a tile setter. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Really, really good. And he kept saying, hey, I want to go out on my own. I want to go out on my own. I want to go out on my own. And he w- he started his own company. But he worked for this gentleman during the day and he would do his own thing at night. And what happened is, you know, he made his living from the gentleman and he was paying his bills. But he he was still one foot in, one foot out. And his company never took off for many years, like number, a number of years he did both. Then finally he said, okay, I'm going to come, you know, go all in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but... Now he's back working for someone else and he's chosen that path that was better for him. But at least he has no doubt. He knows that he at least went all in on one thing. And yeah. I think what's really challenging as a gym owner is, look, if you have if you have children, if you have a wife, if you have a husband, if you have mortgage, then that's a responsibility thing that you got to figure out, right? But if you've made the decision to open up a gym and you're still working full-time as a lawyer or whatever it may be, that's challenging to run both. Now, unless you have somebody else running your business, totally fine. But if you're going to try and run a successful gym and have another career, it's very, very tough. And we've seen a lot of people do it. Yeah. And when we look at their numbers, they get, let's just say, 100 members. They're generating X amount of revenue. It's not worth the liability. 
if if you want to have this cool atmosphere, you want to have a fun thing, just join a really cool gym, <laughs> right? Just just join be a, really a member. Cool, just be a member, right? And enjoy yourself. But you don't need to be, you know, you don't need to be an owner. You don't yeah. need to have your own gym if you're going to have another career on the side. I like this one too. I mean, this one, um, it, it somewhat related to the last point that we talked about. But for me, this is more about okay. Let's say you've you've made the plunge. And you, you're figuring out whether or not you can actually do this. And for a, a little bit of time, you're saying, all right, I'm going to test this out. I'm going to keep my other job. I'm going to be responsible about the decisions that I've made. I'm going to make sure that everything's buttoned up. I think that that's a really, really strong approach. You have to do yeah. that because that's responsibility. Just yeah. talked about that. Yes. <laughs> but at some point, if you really want to pour kerosene on the fire, you got to go all in. You, you can't be split focus and be, all right, I'm going to be 50% of my time here and 50% of my time here because I really believe you'll get 50% of the results. It's like with nutrition or training or anything that you do. If you want 100% of the results, you got to put in 100% of the work. But you might be okay with just 80% of the results. Yeah. You got to be okay with eating that slice of pizza or that donut every now and again. Yeah, but then don't complain if exactly. you're not happy with your six pack, right? I mean, <laughs> for me, I know where I'm at, right? I put on a couple of pounds in, in Italy. And, and you know what? I got this challenge coming up, but I'm going to go back to my 100%. I'm going to get after it. But you got to reap, you know, you got to know where your priorities are at. Yeah. And if you have a daytime job and you need to make money for your family, I get it. But then maybe it's not the best time to start your business, right? Or opening it in your garage. I get it. That's cool. But just think about the risk and liability. Yeah. That's it, right? If you want to have a couple buddies come over and throw down, I get it. But if you're going to start charging people and they're going to be using your house bathroom and you got to worry about H, you know, you got to worry about a lot of things, yeah. you know, and, and there just comes a point where each owner needs to say to themselves, hey, look, am I all in? And if I am, let's go for it. And if not, maybe the best thing to do is to transition it to another coach, transition to someone else, and then you become a member. You founded it. You're doing great things, but you know you have to focus over here. Let someone else deal with the headache. Yeah. It's all about timing, responsible decision-making, looking at your circumstances. But at some point, I really believe like you can't play poker with scared money. Like You have to be willing to put all your chips into the center and bet on yourself at some point, if it's the right thing to do, right. if it's not the right thing to do, temper yourself, pull back, hire good people, and be okay with being at your other job eight hours of the day. But you're going to have some gives and takes there. Couldn't agree more. Well, Mr. MDV, we are 28 minutes in. So we spoke about partnerships. Guys, go out there. Just, just put something on paper. Right? <laughs> Set the expectation. Talked about doing your due diligence. Look, go talk to your local government or go talk to your local city. Go look at how much space do you actually need, right? Don't take on more than you could chew. Look out for how much this outside financing is. Don't just easily take people's money. Really make sure that you know what you're going to do with it, right? Because if someone gives you a million bucks, you end up spending a million bucks. But maybe you didn't need a million bucks, right? right? Just make sure you're doing the right thing. With hiring your friends, we understand it. We have a lot of friends in our business and it's worked out really well for us. We are not saying it's a negative. We're just saying that the caveat to that is you have to set the expectation, right? We talked about going on um, the timing. Make sure that your training, wherever you put your time, wherever you put your energy is where you're going to see results. Whether you're competing or you're trying to get better at gymnastics, spend more time there. Same thing goes to your business. Yeah. But just don't complain if your gymnastics, your muscle-ups are failing if you're only working the back squat, right? Can't get mad. And then lastly, hey, you said it best. Sometimes it's time just to bet on yourself. Get in. Get after it and uh, see what happens. Worst case scenario, you look back, well, depending on your situation, right? 
but maybe you, you don't want to look back and say, hey, it, what, what drives me every single day, and I've told you this before, is I never want to wake up when I'm 70, 80, and wonder like, what if, you know, there was a really phenomenal moment there, but, but I didn't take it, right? Yeah. And I'd rather, you know, I'd rather wake up when I'm 70 or 80 and be like, man, I failed a lot of times, but here I am still, versus, man, that was a great opportunity, but what if, right? Yeah. What could I have done? That's for me. That's the You motivation. want to be able to tell yourself, I went for it. I gave it my all. Gave it your all. Who wants regret at the end of the day? Be smart about it. Give it your all. Get after it. Mr. MDV, thank you very much. Good to be back. All right, guys. Have a phenomenal day. Keep uh, rising the tides.